Well, you guys thought that Easter was over last Sunday. We're going to finish Easter up tonight. We're going to have a post-Easter study. First of all, I'm going to turn off this fan because it is bothering me. That's better. If you'll turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke will be picking up at verse 36. Post-resurrection time. Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 36. We had an Easter-related study last Thursday. The Thursday before that, I was sick. Um, next Thursday, Sean announced it as the National Day of Prayer. and We'll be participating in that. So I just thought it would be good just to put off Proverbs until, well, actually two weeks from tonight. So Luke chapter 24, verse 36. Now as they said these things, these were those who were walking on the road to Emmaus with the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe, for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. When he had said to them, These are the words which I had spoken to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, What? Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. You can pick up the rest of the story in the book of Acts. It continues on with man being filled with the Holy Spirit and God doing great things through the church. But... Three things tonight we want to look at, three main things that we want to look at in this last section in the Gospel of Luke as we wrap up this resurrection period of time. Now, if you recall, each of the Gospels have a specific point to them. The book of Matthew, it's good news to the Jews. Good news to the Jews presenting Jesus Christ as their king. Messiah was thought to be a a descendant of King David. Well, the scriptures tell us that he was. They were looking for a King David, but he's showing them that this is the fulfillment of God's promise to King David. In the Gospel of Mark, God's good news to the Romans as he presents Jesus as a servant, as a slave, a servant to all of mankind. In the Gospel of John, John's good news to the Jew and Gentile, to all of mankind, as he presents Jesus Christ as God. Now, Luke, this is God's good news to the Greek presenting Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. The quest of all Greeks was to find the perfect man who would then possess the perfect philosophy. 
So tonight we close with three events. Well, the problem with the perfect man is, the perfect man, sooner or later, as we looked in Easter Sunday morning, he's going to die at some point. But what Luke wants to wants man to know, and, and Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians as well, our guy, our guy who brought this grand and glorious gospel, good news as no other good news really was, that his ministry starts at the point of death. It meets him at that place where, well, in the human intellect, there's only despair. But now, through Jesus Christ, we have hope, especially because of his death and definitely because of his resurrection, all of mankind can now have hope. So our three points, we're going to look at verses 33 through 34, the proof of his resurrection. Secondly, verses 44 through 48, the orders of his commission. And then verses 49 through 53, the benefits of his ascension. So first, the proof of his resurrection. There's nothing like really good news in the midst of really hard times. Hard times, again, put yourself in the place of the apostles. There's Jesus. Only one of them had seen him upon the cross. Everybody else left him, but they've heard about it by now. He was defeated, or at least seemed to be defeated upon the cross. He died upon the cross. This man who we thought was so grand and glorious, who we sacrificed our jobs and our families and everything for, they were able to take him? I mean, there was no doubt in our minds that truly this man was God. He presented himself as so. He said as much. And matter of fact, the signs pointed towards the truthfulness of it. But man was able to take him. Man was able to crucify him. But the good news in the midst of hard times, Jesus, in turn, instead of being defeated upon the cross, he defeated the enemies of man upon the cross. And they see that through his resurrection, that truly he had victory over sin and death. And so these apostles are now holed up in the room. They're afraid. They're afraid because, well, if that's what they did to Jesus, surely they're going to come looking for us. And so they have anything but peace, and they've got a locked door for their protection. Verse 36, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? They're waiting for death and they can only find peace in a locked door. Conversely, all of those apart from Christ are doing the same thing. They're going about their lives, they're waiting for death and they're searching for peace. The first words that the resurrected, resurrected Lord has to offer is peace. Peace. Because now things are different. The relationship between God and man is now different. It's never going to be the same, but it is also definitely better. Because now, upon that cross, the price was paid. That's why Jesus would cry out, it is finished. It is finished. It is paid in full. And as he has paid that price, he ascended into the lower parts, the good side of Hades, if you will, and let those, well, led captivity captive. He let those saints that were waiting until this day, and he set them free. And now the gates of heaven are open, and man again is able to have fellowship with the Father. God and man are able to now come together in fellowship. Now, this should take them back to John chapter 14, verse 25, something that Jesus had told them later. It says, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit 
whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, they should be remembering back to this. Peace, let not your heart be troubled. Well, right now, their heart is very troubled. Right now, they're very afraid. He says, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. Well, when he says peace, this is really the fulfillment of this. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, and my Father is greater than I. But now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. As, as the Father gave me commandment. And he's going to be giving them, he's going to be commissioning them for this great work of ministry. So they ought not to have been troubled. If they would have understood the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, but as hard-headed as they can be, as hard-headed as we can be, but now they're seeing these things coming to pass. I've heard of the, resurre- or the crucifixion and the resurrection. I've read of the crucifixion and the resurrection, but I have seen the effects of the crucifixion and the resurrection. I have seen the Holy Spirit sent upon a life. I've seen the changed life of the believer. I've seen the absolutes of the proof of Christianity in my mind so that I would be fully convinced of the reality of Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. Everybody who calls themselves a born-again believer has to have had to come to that conclusion. The reality of Jesus Christ and the reality of who he said, not that he was, but that he is. It's essential to our Christian faith. It's essential to living a Christian life. Because if I can come to this realization and this understanding, I'll move forward in boldness. Now, it's still going to take the apostles a little while. As I said in Luke, when it says amen, you can turn over to Acts and start reading from there. And there's going to be Acts chapter 2 that just changed and altered their lives. They had seen, not only seen the risen Lord, but also they were people filled with the Holy Spirit And then we just had one of the most amazing things that ever happened in the course of history. Twelve men. Now, there were more disciples, I understand that. But for the most part, twelve men, some of them are fishermen, tax collectors, insignificant men, in the most insignificant nation in pretty much the world, changed the world, set the world on their ear. I've mentioned it before. I was talking to a guy at a golf course, and he's not a believer, and I was telling him about being a pastor. And he finally said something to me along the lines of, so was your life changed? And I what? What do you mean? Because we were just talking about something else. And all of a sudden, he just kind of blurted it out. Was your life changed? What do you mean, was my life changed? When you became a Christian, was your life changed? I told him my life was radically altered. I'm not even close to the person that I was. And we started getting into all of these things. And I explained to him how the Holy Spirit came upon me and how the Holy Spirit just changed my life. And again, the first person that I needed to see, the first changed life of a believer that I needed to see was the guy who I see when I look into the mirror. To know and to understand that these things happen within our lives. And that's a proof to me of the existence of God working and moving in my life. 
Now, when Jesus, back in Luke chapter 24, when he says peace, this is peace on God's terms. Peace was not going to come about any other way. What does man spend all of his time doing apart from the Lord today? Trying to find peace. We'll work a job so I can earn enough money so I can carve out a little bit of peace. Kids, trying to raise good kids so I can have peace in that. Have a good marriage so I can have peace in my marriage. But it's like the little boy that's trying to stick his finger in all the holes in the dike and it keeps leaking and it keeps leaking. And sooner or later, as he can't keep up, he's flooded over with all of the hardship of life. Now, when the South surrendered toward, to the North, generally during the Civil War, General Lee and General Grant, they met up at Appomattox, this little courthouse, insignificant courthouse in, um, in Virginia. It wasn't expected, just the North finally overwhelmed the South. The South was kind of holed up on this mountain, this, this hill, and they were surrounded, and they probably would have been completely annihilated. Lee realized that, and he understood it's time to, it's time to surrender. So he goes down to the courthouse, he meets Grant there, and they have the ceremony and, and the signing of the surrender and all of that, and Lee asked him for terms, terms of surrender. And Grant, as was his habit, says, there are no terms for surrender. Your terms for surrender for peace are going to be unconditional. We cannot dictate to God what our terms of surrender, our terms for peace are going to be. It's unconditional. This is peace as God gives us peace. We know that the enemy is out there. In our minds, it makes sense to board ourselves up and to hide in a corner just as the apostles are doing here. But the Christian will never find peace that way. We move forward in the Christian life. We speak the word of God. We preach the gospel. And it's in the midst of that we find peace. But not peace as the world finds their peace. This is described in Philippians chapter 4 as the peace that surpasses understanding. It's that peace that, well, I've gone about it according to God says. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense according to human terms, but it makes every bit of sense according to God's word. This is peace moving forward in overwhelming odds from a position of weakness in a humble manner. A soldier or an apostle is simply to follow orders. That's the definition of what an apostle is. One sent with a message or one under orders. And that's all we are to be concerned about. We are all apostles to a degree. We've all been given a commission. We've all been given orders. Everybody here has a calling. Everybody here who's a born-again believer has a spiritual gifting. And God's orders to you are to exercise that spiritual gifting for the benefit of the gospel and the salvation of mankind. Now, what we are not to concern ourselves with is the validity and the integrity of the orders. That's the responsibility of the commander. And so as God has called me, as God has commanded me, I'm simply responsible just to go and just to be obedient to what he has called me to do, who he has called me to be. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lead not on your own understanding because you don't know all the details. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That means God will bless you if you're obedient to what he has called you to do. So you're sitting here tonight. I believe that this message is from God. God's got you here tonight. You can't deny that. What is God speaking to you? 
What is God telling you? What, what is God calling you to do? Who is God calling you to be? I mean, I don't expect you to answer me, but I do expect you to answer yourself. Because again, God has a call for each and every one of you. You need to consider, first of all, how has he spiritually gifted you? You need to consider that. You've got to know that. And as you know how God has spiritually gifted you, to the best that you're able to determine that, are you moving forward in exercising that spiritual gift? Because if I gave you a gift and you were happy to receive the gift and excited to get one, but if you never opened it, what good would it do? Well, as God has gifted me, even as I say that's an exciting thing, but if you never open the gift, if you never unwrap the gift, then really what good is it? It's simply just a waste. So right now, their understanding that they've been leaning on is Christ is defeated. Later, they will understand that Christ defeated the enemy. Verse 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Well, the greatest illustration of this is obviously Thomas, he who we refer to as Doubting Thomas. He's the one who said, I've got to see for myself. See, he was out of, well, he wasn't out of town, but he was out of the building when Jesus first presented himself. And they told him, we've seen the risen Lord. He was here. He was here with us. And Thomas said, I don't really know. I'm not, I'm not going to buy that. Actually, rather than giving you my weird description of it, why don't you let me read it in John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands in the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Notice, in doubting Thomas's life, Jesus comes down to the level of his doubt to lead him to faith. The level of his doubt, unless I touch the wounds unless I can put myself into the wounds. And you've probably heard the same thing today, not necessarily in the same manner. You want me to believe in Jesus? I need to see him. I want to touch him. You have to show me Jesus. Well, they're saying they want to see a physical Christ, but in essence, they're right. You do need to display Jesus Christ to him only through your life. But look what, what, what it is that reaches this unbeliever, this doubter here. First of all, it's Jesus' obvious knowledge of Thomas. How did he know that Thomas said those things that he said? Unless I see, unless I feel, unless I touch. And so Jesus is going to meet him at his point of unbelief. Again, when we hear the word of God, when we hear the word of God directed at us, we are transparent. We're transparent because Jesus sees right through us. He sees through to the heart. And so Jesus meets Thomas at his point of doubt point of doubt. And Thomas had to be at this time kind of like somebody sitting in a sermon. Have you ever been to a sermon? I've been to one and you're listening to it and 
you wonder, did my wife call him up and tell him that? And who, how does he know that I've been dealing with this? And so Thomas, can, I can imagine sitting there as Jesus is saying these things to him, they ratted me out. They told him what I said. Well, we know that nobody needed to tell him what he said because he's the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this has to do with what we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. As he's hearing Jesus' words, it's piercing him through and through. Uh, to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Well, again, this speaks volumes concerning Thomas. What was it that really penetrated Thomas's heart here, though? If you'll note here, nowhere does it say that he reached his finger here or put his hands there. He didn't touch at all. It just simply says that he saw. He saw the Lord in his crucified condition. What is the Lord in his crucified condition? Well, it's the same thing that John saw in Revelation chapter 5. I saw a lamb as if it was led to the slaughter. And what we're seeing is, is the revelation once again of the love of God, the love that God has for mankind. It was overwhelming for those who were in heaven as even the angels worshipped and the church sang out in Revelation chapter 5. Back here in John chapter 20, there's Thomas. And the only thing that Thomas can say is, my Lord and my God. The wounds of the risen Lord are the undeniable witness of the great love that God has for us. Jesus told them as much. And I've linked these two uh, sections of Scripture together in John. Next to him, I've written the cross-reference. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up that last day. How does the Father draw us? There must be some certain way where the Father draws us. It's not the Father grabbing us and pulling us, but there's some way, there's some sort of attraction there. Well, next to John chapter 6, verse 44, I wrote John chapter 12, verses 32 through 33. Jesus said, if I am lifted up from earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. And we see this come to fulfillment here with Thomas. Because Jesus was lifted up, signifying his death upon the cross, it's that which God uses to all of mankind to draw mankind. It's the love of God displayed to all of humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so it's the crucified Lord is what God uses to draw mankind to himself. If Christ is not crucified, man is not drawn to God. And then it's at that point, it's upon seeing those wounds that Thomas made the greatest confession that I think is contained in the scriptures made by man. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. He's not only my God, but he's also the Lord. He's God, there's no doubt about that, but he's also my Lord. He's the director of my life. He's the owner of this life. He's the one who I submit myself to direction. He's the one who I have given my life over for all eternity. The only human created thing in heaven 
is going to be the wounds of the lamb. Back in Luke, verses 44 through 48, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it was written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead in the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Second thing that we see are the orders of his commission. Notice what they're referred to here. They're referred to as witnesses. Yeah, you're a Christian. You're a born-again believer. You're a child of God. But most of all, while we are here on this earth, we are witnesses. And so as I'm talking about spiritual gifting, all of your spiritual gifting is to be brought together for this one purpose, for the purpose of being a witness. This church, Paul referred to us as a body, and a body has many parts. These parts are all to come together for the purpose of being a witness. You've probably, well, we've talked about it. Well, we're taking sign-ups too. The Beacon Ministry, we're going to be having a float this year at the City of Ontario 4th of July parade. We're going to have a Calvary Chapel Ontario float. We're also going to have a booth over at West Wind Park during the 4th of July. So if you want to have great seats for the fireworks, I've got a place that you can come and watch them. You're just going to have to work for them, serve for them. But it's all for the purpose of being a witness. Where did it start? Where does the witness always start? First of all, for us, just kind of stay with me along these lines, it started at the point of rejection. And it always will start at the point of rejection. And you got a determination to make at the point of rejection. Do you stop and do you go away? Or do you continue to push forward? And so what did God do? God had us in West Wind Park and we were doing baptisms at the pool until we were rejected two years in a row. They wouldn't let us come in and use the park anymore because we're a religious organization. I told them, we're not a religious organization. They said, you're not? I go, no, we're a church. That didn't seem to help. And so we're rejected from that. And then they, now, I mean, most of you already know this, but okay, they won't let us have a baptism at the park because we're a religious organization. Right after that happened, they call me, wanted me to do the prayer at the city council meeting. That just doesn't make sense to me. I'm glad we were able to do it. And so I go to the city council meeting, and while I'm there, you have an opportunity. If you're a citizen of Ontario, you have an opportunity before every city council meeting to go there, fill out a blue card, and then you get the mic for, I think it's three minutes. Well, I went there, and I said my prayer. I turned around, and they called me back, and then I said my peace. You know, I just explained to them, very humble manner, that, This is what God has called us. I don't think I explained it in that manner. I don't remember exactly how I said it. But nonetheless, I told them, we have a desire to serve this city. And as we did that, I say we did that because this isn't me. This is our church. As we did that, it seems to have opened doors. All of a sudden, the the parade that seemed like was going to be kind of a tough thing if they were even going to allow us to do it, all of a sudden, it seems like we have an open door there. And it's the same thing with the park. We talked to the guy who's responsible for the park thing, and he was just kind of real standoffish, not saying no or anything, but we were going to go get a a certificate from the health department. It's like, well, you don't really want to do that right now. 
And then all of a sudden, the next time we call them, it's like there's an open door. And so while I'm saying all that, just to say this, we need to continue to push against closed doors and make that personal. What are the closed doors that you have been faced with in your life? And closed doors, opportunities into people's life. We're talking about the commission here. Opportunities into people's life for the purpose of being a witness. With my father, I made the determination, it's done, I'm not going to do it anymore. That was me speaking in the flesh from frustration. God opened the door, I had opportunity, my dad got saved. Again, say it as I've always said it, as long as somebody is able to draw breath, there's opportunity to see them saved. You have been called to be a witness. Well, doesn't the Bible say about shaking dust off your feet? Amazing some scriptures that we'll be able to memorize above others. Don't worry about the dust on your feet. God will let you know. Never stop. Never give up. Never, never, never give up. We are witnesses. What we are not is, you have not been called to be a judge. You have not been called to be a jury. You've not been called to be an attorney. You have not been called to be an arguer. And you have not definitely not been called to be an audience. You have been called to give a witness of what you have seen and what you have experienced. What have I seen? What have I experienced? What's the best witness I can give? Is God's grace. It's all about what the gospel is about. God's grace. And what's the best witness I can give concerning God's grace? Everybody wants God's grace, but the best witness I can give is to be gracious. Gracious. The effect of God's grace upon me reflecting into the lives of somebody else. Everybody wants grace, but to be gracious is hard. Because without the difficult person, grace does not exist. If everybody was just happy-go-lucky and we're arm-in-arm skipping around the church, then there's no need for grace within the church. But it's not like that. There's hard people. There's difficult people in this church. There's difficult people in every church. And it gives me an opportunity to practice my graciousness here so then I can take it out of this place where the people are really hard and reflect the grace of God out there. Now, grace does not mean overlooking things but it means that when wrong is done to me, I don't respond in kind, but I reflect Jesus Christ. Perfect example is Christ upon the cross. He is going to that cross willingly for me, even though I didn't deserve it. And from that, through his grace, he gave me salvation. We are to witness in an unbiased manner, without opinion added, without a story embellished, we are to speak what we've experienced and speak what we have seen. And again, that's all based upon God's word. Now, he's given them here Luke's version of the Great Commission. We've seen before there are five versions of the Great Commission, each from a different perspective in the Bible. I'll go through them very quick. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The perspective there is Jesus' authority to give the order. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The perspective there is final judgment. So, so far we have Jesus ordered us to do it, 
and he ordered us to do it because man is going to be judged. John chapter 20, verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Perspective, our orders are reflective of the Lord's. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the authority. He's given us the order. He's done so because of final judgment. I can see how to carry out these orders in the manner in which Christ carried out his. Sacrificial love, dying for the sake of others. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Perspective, worldwide evangelism. It starts in your heart, it radiates out into your home, and it's able to go across all the world. It was kind of funny today. I was talking with somebody, and they said, so-and-so bought some of the Calvary Chapel, Ontario t-shirts that we have here, and they kind of joked. They were serious, but and it's true. They said, yeah, they bought them to send them to Africa. There's Calvary Chapel, Ontario t-shirts in Africa. We have Josh and Amber in Indonesia. We have gospel for Asia. Our hands, I don't think they, our hands have spread to enough places. I know God wants to do more, but we have had an effect on the other side of the world. If you participate in this church, if you give in this church, if you're part of this church, it's an amazing thing. You have had an effect upon the soul of a person on the other side of the world. You will never meet them in this lifetime, but prayerfully you will, I'm sure you will, in the next lifetime. And if you think about that, it's an amazing concept. And it doesn't just have to be one person. That's up to you and how obedient you will be to the things I've just read listening to Christ because of his authority, understanding there's a final judgment, seeing the example of the Lord, knowing that it's worldwide evangelism. And then here in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 47, and he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, perspective, the fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of prophecy that these things are just as God said that they would be. And so, peace, man now has peace with God, and he has peace from God. Thirdly, verses 49 through 53, the benefits of his ascension. Verse 49, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This would reach over to Acts chapter 2. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Blessing is mentioned three times there. It's first blessings that come from Christ. What are the blessings that come from Christ? God doing well for man. He's blessed us upon the cross. He's blessed us as he was resurrected. He's blessed me as he would never leave me or forsake me. He's blessed me as he sent the Holy Spirit. And we can just go through blessings and blessings and blessings. But based upon Christ's blessings, in verse 53, we see man blessing God. 
Now, God blessing man, again, is God doing well for us. Us blessing God is us speaking well of God who has blessed us, is fulfilling that commission, is going forth and telling others of all that God has done. I'm just going to close from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, I think when we were studying the Psalms, I came upon it. And really, Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27, is the biblical definition of what a blessing is. A biblical definition of a blessing. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27, to the end of that chapter. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. So just kind of a a, a couple of things here. Understand the magnitude of the blessing. The magnitude of the blessing, well, it is to be personal. Speak to the Lord. The Lord bless you. The, the, the magnitude of the blessing is to be personal from God in a very real way and that his face would shine upon you. Face shine upon him, that is definitely a blessing because I know if his face turns away from us, it's definitely a curse. And then his verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance or his presence upon you. Now, when there's something important in the Bible, we've seen this many times. We saw it as we were studying the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We also saw it in chapter 4. But you've got a picture of the Holy Trinity there. Now, there's something essentially important in blessings that come from God. And we see the totality of who God is here. And it says here, verse 24, The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, notice Lord is mentioned three times. Verse 24, 25, and 26. Lord, it's all uppercase letters. It's the tetragrammaton Yahweh. Yahweh, the God who is. The God who is, bless you. Well, the Lord bless you to the Jewish mind, and I think it needs to be our mind. He's speaking of the Father. The Father. May the Father bless you. But then he also says, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Son bless you. Where do I get that? Well, His face shines upon. When in history did God's face shine upon mankind? Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then thirdly, verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance or lift up his presence upon you and give you peace. The presence of God dwelling inside of me is the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And so you've got Jesus upon the cross, Father, you've got Son, and you've got the power of God to do away with sin, the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the Lord. We're told in different sections of Scripture that Jesus was brought back to life from the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit and that death could not keep him. And we just see this constant theme running throughout the Scriptures, all pointed back to that time that we just finished celebrating. Now, The thing about celebrating, when you're done celebrating, it's over. Remember Don Meredith, if you're old like me, Monday night football, turn out the lights, the party's over. 
He sang it better. Well, I think he actually sang it worse than I do, but nonetheless, we had our whole family over Easter. Well, first, let's back up. Easter Sunday morning. Our church doubles on Easter Sunday morning. I was the last person to leave. There was nobody here. It's quiet. Everybody's gone. In your mind, it's over. I went home to our house, and there was all of my kids and all of my grandchildren. It was fun. I was exhausted. Finally, the last ones left, and there was just that other person that's always hanging. My wife. It was just my wife and myself, and it was quiet. They were done. And now Jesus, he's ascended into heaven, but it ain't done. It's not finished. And matter of fact, 2,000 years later, it's still not finished. And since it's not finished, I mean, salvation is finished, but not the work that God wants to do in and through the church. You need to consider, what is your part? What is your part? What has God gifted you to do? What has God called you to do? Because the Gospel of Luke, it's a letter that starts with a man who is silent because of unbelief, a priest, and it ends with the worship of the witness, those who are to go out and to preach the Gospel. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, your word is just so rich. Not only is it rich, it's also so powerful. And Father, as it is, it's able to change lives. And I thank you, Father, for the lives that it has changed. Lord, it has changed my life. It has changed our life. That being the case, Lord, and if truly that's what you are, because Thomas came to that realization, my Lord and my God. Now, we can look at Thomas as being a doubter, but this is a man who gave his life because of the belief that he had in Jesus Christ. He was martyred for his faith. And Lord, you're not calling us to be martyred for our faith to that degree, but Lord, may I truly be martyred in this life, in my will for this life. May I truly surrender it over to you. And so Father, whatever you are calling us to do, and Lord, you're very specific in what you have called us to be, may we do so for your glory. Father, may we make the determination within our own hearts that we would fulfill the commission that you have given us. The soldier, the, the, the messenger, is only to take the orders and to execute the orders. Father, these orders come from your throne. May we be found people who are obedient. May we recognize those spiritual giftings. May we exercise those spiritual giftings. And Father, we just pray the end result would be that you are glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You all stand, please.